Hello and welcome to this edition of the Business Matters podcast with me, Richard Alvin, the Managing Editor. I'm joined today with Gareth Smith, CEO of Hilton Smythe, a business consultancy specialising in buying and selling businesses. Hi, Gareth. Hi. I'm look, looking forward to speaking to you. Uh, and us, you. Um, Gareth, can you give us a quick overview of what you do as a business um, and, and then how you think uh, you can actually help businesses specifically during the current time? Yeah, of course. Um, so we're a, primarily a, a business broker, as you, you might call it. Um, we help people buy and sell businesses um, across the UK, the entire UK, um, of all different sectors and all different sizes. Um, and I think certainly in the current climate, it's a, it's a very interesting time for, for business brokers, people looking to buy and sell businesses. Um, and I suppose the way we can really help people is reassuring them through, you know, something like the coronavirus pandemic um, in terms of what does the outlook look like when you want to sell. Um, and of course, if you're buying, what, what's the best approach and best way to do that? So it's all about maximizing value for people, um, whether buying or selling, of course, um, and, and trying to do that the best way we can, given the current circumstances. Given the current circumstances, um, are you seeing a number of people um, with, I think, they, you know, I think the, the appropriate phrase to call them is distressed businesses, um, looking, you know, they're running out of cash, looking to exit fast um, before potentially having to, you know, call in administrators or even worse? Um, or is it a, a case of actually mainly people uh, looking to actually grow their businesses through the normal channels? You know, lending is cheap at the moment, assuming you can get it. Um, and actually, you know, growing and using that Darwin theory of actually growing through it through strength. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's it's an interesting time, and we've heard so many um, instances of unprecedented, and and you know. That tends to be the buzzword that's flying around, uh, in particular about coronavirus and this pandemic. What is the case is that look, most businesses are actually in the same boat, um, and where that happens, you know, we've we've seen, and I mentioned uh, previously in, in another uh, interview, um, you know, we, we start to see across, um, uh, you know, likes of LinkedIn social media, uh, you know, EBITDAC, so earnings before interest tax depreciation amortization is what we'd normally associate with selling a business. That's an adjustment of profit figure. Um, but we've added the C on, uh, i.e. coronavirus, because it's an unusual time. It's a one-off. It's highly unlikely to happen again. And I think anybody looking to buy a business, invest, or even future finance um, providers have to really, you know, adjust figures to reflect the fact that this is a global pandemic and actually millions of businesses across the world have been affected. So I think when you can strip that back and account for that um, and and make adjustments, longer term, it won't have a massive impact. That is not to say, of course, that we won't see businesses go under. I think there will be a lot that, that do go into administration does that mean we get lots of distressed sales? We haven't seen that at the moment. That isn't to say that won't happen. What you tend to find with, with things like a recession or, of course, we've not necessarily had a massive pandemic like this for, for some time. But what you tend to find is that the businesses that don't survive will sort of start filtering through a little bit later on. And probably the road to recovery is where we'd see the majority of businesses that are going to fold actually fold. So it's an interesting time ahead. Will the current situation in these unprecedented times, um, and I have to say that I've never described businesses as precedented, so I don't quite know why we're obsessed with that phrase, but anyway. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, will it actually have a hangover to the value of businesses, uh, you know, this year, next year and, and beyond for, for business sales? Because obviously, you know, a, a sale of a business is, is normally two times, four times, six times, whatever, uh, yep. multiple on, on turnover and or profit. Um, clearly, mm-hmm. both of those for most businesses um, have been substantially damaged um for, for this financial year and i'm assuming um, that that's going to have a knock-on effect for those multiples even even in sort of five years time yeah i mean the, there's two ways to look at uh, something like that i think um uh, the way i would like to look at it and, and i'm sure there's many others and business owners alike that, that that would like to look at it like this how it truly plays out of course we, we don't necessarily know at this point but if your business has survived something like this then isn't it reasonable to say, well, actually, it's worth more? Because if you can get through something like this on the other side, well, it, it, you know, you're ripe for the picking, aren't you? You've got a fantastic business. It's made it through a time when many other businesses hasn't. And I, I just think, actually, that could reverse um, psychology on that and say, well, actually, you've got a much better business um, coming out the other end of coronavirus than you have going in. And what I've heard a lot of from from lots of different business owners, changing the models, um, whether we, we move away to, to fully remote working or whether, um, you know, businesses vacate city centre offices and things like that, again, is to be seen. But businesses have adapted to the way they work. Something like this will make them, no doubt, become more efficient. Um, as much as the, certainly the UK government are doing in terms of, of furloughing and, and other um, sorts of um, state aid, if you like, um, whether that has a you know the long term impact they want it to, um, I, I'm not sure because ultimately. Um, I think businesses will see we can make cost savings and, and we might see more redundancies, um, but businesses will come out of this stronger and leaner. And I think if they do that, they will add value invariably over the long term. So actually, business, so what you're saying is that businesses that have survived or will, will have survived the, the coronavirus um, and then you're know, looking for a sale next year or whatever else, their multiple will be a standard four times or, or whatever multiple on their profits and, and or turnover. Um, but also there will be then an additional C value, should we say, um, or you know, uh, success corona value um, of, of an additional uplift of whatever whatever it might be and clearly that that will probably d- differentiate between the business and the sector um but actually it'll be a, a badge of honor to actually add to the value and not detract from it yeah i think so i mean it, again it, it's it's tough to say with value i mean value is always a, a sticking point and a, and a funny topic because what is a business worth well well ultimately it's worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it um and and that's really down to if it's an individual um, and it you know it might be a smaller transaction there's an argument to say actually there's there's no sort of method to valuing that business at all it, it's purely down to psychology and, and the desire and want to buy the business whereas you you know if it's a, an acquisition to an existing company um, that perhaps has survived coronavirus as well it's more profitable they might see it as a you know it's worth more because if we add that in, it's adding significantly more profits. Until we get through the other side, it's really, really tough to sort of direct where the values are going to go and, and you know, will we get an extra point on the multiple? Who knows? Um, of course, multiples generically are based on the stock market and, and the profit earnings ratio. So it depends what happens over that side. Um, it, it just depends. I mean, private companies are always a tough one to value. Um, 
But I think, like I say, coming out of the other side of something like this, if a company is very profitable, they've made changes, they're still here, um, I think we will see a, an uplift in values. Okay. Um, so from our um, sort of you know, SME uh, listening audience out there that are thinking about potentially selling their, their businesses next year, year after or whatever else, what are the, you know, the real takeaways that they can get from this? Um, for actually preparing their business for sale, as opposed to just, you know, uh, thinking one day, you know, and, you know on a, on a Monday, phoning you up and, and and actually, you know, putting the putting the for sale board up, shall we say? Um, what proactive things could and should they be doing now, um, you know, a year or so in advance of a potential exit and sale, um, to actually add value and make them more sale ready, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, and and actually one we find all too often is somebody does decide monday morning i've had enough uh, you know i've had enough of coronavirus i'm selling um and it's probably the worst thing you can do so yeah being prepared is absolutely 100 percent essential and i'd say that the key takeaways for anybody that, that wants to look at selling in the next year or two um first of all get your accounts and everything in order because um you know we know that lots of businesses like to, to ask their accountants to, to pay as little tax and, and whatever else as possible. Um, of course, you know, the accounts of the business can be manipulated in various ways. So the important thing is to show as much profit as possible, um, I think, is the first step. And, and you need a good two, three years of doing that. Um, and, and make sure your processes and everything are, are well in place. And I think take the opportunity actually because we have all got an opportunity i'm a business owner um, i know many others and they're all taking the opportunity to take stock of the business make it better make it more efficient cut costs where you can and really drive hard the areas you can push um, whether that be outsource marketing whether it be you know third-party suppliers or even your own sales sort of figures and and, and team really push it um, and i think Use the opportunity to take stock, make the business better um, and, and drive the key performance. Um, the other thing really to, to have as a, as a board, as a, you know, a series of managers is to have both leading and historic KPIs and leading indicators so that you know you're on track and you know where you've been. Um, so some key things there, I think definitely make sure you're you know, as profitable as you can be watch your cost lines, um, make sure you've got a good management structure in place um, and that they know what they're doing. In other words, take yourself out of the business, work on the business, not in it, um, and, and absolutely make sure you've got some key performance indicators that are you know, showing you where the business has been and some leading indicators showing you where it's going and are you on track. Should you also be thinking about... Um de-regionalizing your business uh, as much as possible so um, you know if you are um, a business that sells either you know through retail channels or through online or whatever else but you're very focused on one particular part of the country um, you know you're clearly I assume um, cutting your potential purchase uh, pool down um, to only people in you know for example Manchester um, whereas uh, if you, you know, decentralize and actually that business can effectively be picked up and, uh, and run from another part of the country or run as part of a, uh, a regional office or whatever else, uh, I'm assuming you, know, you should also be thinking about that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. If, if you, you know, particularly if you're um, operating a, a very small area, um, 
you know, there are opportunities to grow that area slightly, maybe, um, and, and dominate your particular region. And if you know that you've got a competitor um, that's just up the road, um, that's, you know, a good competitor, the profitable, they may well be your purchaser. I think that the thing to always bear in mind when you're selling, particularly with the size of company, depending on what the size of company is, is almost know who's going to buy you before you, you've gone on the market um, or before you know, you've contacted anybody. If you know who your buyer is, you can tailor your business effectively to sell to that, that company. And that's always a good piece of advice. It's a difficult one to try and, uh, to try and achieve. Um, but I think depending on your sector, the size of your business, it's something that, that you should definitely do and build your business model almost around the actual sale if that's what you know, 100% you're wanting to do. Um, if you're not 100% sure on the sale, then obviously it's about making your business the best it can be. And if that means, um, you know, going national or if that means, you know, uh, decentralizing, then, then that's the best thing to do. I think making sure that your product or service is deliverable, um, you know, on, on the larger scale, if, if that's the case, um, is absolutely key. You don't want to be letting you know, customers down and, and gaining a bad reputation. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's whatever's best for the business at the time in terms of the sale. If you can build your business around who your buyer is going to be, then you're onto a winner. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely important and crucial because I mean I know for, for, from 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 uh, personal experience um, that a media company that I'm aware of that was founded uh, with the intention of being sold um, to a much larger group. Um, and within five years, that's exactly what happened. You know, it was sold to that to that to that, to that large group. Um, so that, that's absolutely key. If we spin the question around and and look at firstly, who are buying these businesses that, that you're that you're marketing for sale at the moment, um, and yeah. then also how they sort of go about it. So is it people that are, um, you know, have 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 money on the stock market or money, you know. Uh, now empty nesting and actually able to take some money out of their house mm. or is it companies looking to expand who is your 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 sweet spot your average buyer yeah i mean the the reality is for, for us certainly that we don't have an average buyer um we, we've probably got a profile of three main category of buyers um one is completely new to purchasing a business that they, they probably work somewhere else they may have been made redundant um you know they, they might have some savings and they want to to own their own business and, and go into that um the second pool is probably um you know they've probably been higher up in management maybe in, in a bigger company. And again, they're looking to branch out. So they're quite experienced in running businesses and, and departments. Um, so a bit more experience than the first um, and probably a bit more behind them in terms of property or money uh, and want to, to, to purchase their own business. And then you've got a third pool for us, which is they bought businesses, they own businesses, they're expanding. Um, so there's, there's three main category of buyers that certainly we see. And we tend to find that the funds come, you know, they might have investments in stock markets. They might just have savings. It could be like, say, redundancy payment. They might just own property and they want to, to leverage that to purchase the business. So many different circumstances um, amongst buyers. Um, it's, it's unbelievable, really. But that's the typical type we, we tend to find. Okay. I mean, uh, and also, whilst the price point clear for a business is clearly based on its profitability and turnover and other, other multiples, um, you know, someone being made redundant in a manufacturing business or whatever else should we say at the moment um, that has a decent sized pension, etc. What would they be looking 
uh, at roughly um, to, to actually buy, you know, a buy business that, you, that you're currently marketing at the moment. So, you know, quarter million, something like that. And if so, you know, is it a bit like buying a house? Are they going to have to put down 20% down and, and hopefully speak to Barclays or NatWest or whoever to, to borrow the rest? Um, or, yeah. or, or is it, you know, a, a completely different way of doing it when you buy a business as opposed to a house? Okay, so I mean, fundamentally, the the, the process can be split, I suppose, in, in terms of the negotiation stage, which is different to buying a house. The legal stage is probably not too dissimilar. It's quite, you know, you you agree a contract, you, you exchange and you complete in its broadest sense. There's a lot more to it than that, of course. Um, but what I would say is that um, from a financing point of view, when you're financing a business, um, you tend to find that there's three categories that, that banks will look at. Um, one is, have you got any funds you can um, put in yourself or do you own, have you got equity in a property you can put up as leverage and security? Um, have you got experience in the sector? Um, so, you know, you might have managed or worked in, in a similar business. Um, and if so, the, you know, lenders really do do like that and, and CV therefore plays a, um, a key role in lending decisions, uh, you know, if they like the person and they've got the experience. Um, and then the third is obviously the business itself. Is it profitable? Does it have good, strong accounts? You know, has it got a good risk profile? As a general rule, um, two out of the three of those things would stand any buyer a good chance of, of obtaining the funds dependent of course on individual circumstances credit reports the business credit report that sort of thing but as a general rule two of the three is a really good starting point to actually finance um, the business in terms of deposits you, you will need to put some skin in the game that that generally is how it works um you'll see all these things on online about buying a, a business for a quid um i mean uh, i don't want to get onto onto that bandwagon you know it, I'm not sure that it's quite how it's perceived to be. Um, and, and we've heard, you know, vendor financing where you use the money in the business. And there's so many ways to finance a business. But fundamentally, the main one is a seller's going to want to get something out of it. They're not going to want to quit. Um, they might want to quit if the business is, is up the swanny and, and actually they need to get out and you'll take on the liabilities. Well, then it's not costing you a quid, is it? It's costing you significantly more. Um, but as a, a traditional route of financing, a business being say con contribution from yourself and and you know borrowing the money from a, a high street bank or a secondary lender you, you probably would need a, a reasonable chunk to, to put in there as well um that being said depending on the purchase price the banks may well look at it and and you've got all the experience the business is really strong they might well still do it. So I'd say speak to somebody that, that knows finance, um, whether that be corporate finance or whether that be a, you know, a, a broker, a finance broker. If they can help, they will. We hear such horror stories at the moment about high street banks not lending um, both to, to you know, existing businesses and also on business plans um, for, for purchase. How have you actually found dealing with you know, traditional high street lenders and high street banks at the moment um, both, you know, both at the moment, if you've done any deals um, in the last sort of six, eight weeks, um, but also in the sort of six or so months beforehand, um, you know, are the horror stories correct? Is it, you know, an absolute waste of waste of time, money, energy, and effort to go to a high street bank and lender for for this, um, and look go straight to alternative finance? 
um, or actually is it worth if you've got a solid proper business plan um, actually going that traditional route that would have been the only routes you know, 10 years ago well look i mean i i don't know where you know i mean i've heard the stories myself you know uh, businesses um, aren't receiving funding from banks whatever it might be personally in, in my experience both as a business owner and uh, you know one of our companies is a, a finance broker I just can't see that there's that issue. I think the bank's generally very good. Um, you know, you get some really good rates out of the banks if the, if the, the business stacks up. Um, we don't get many rejections, but I think, you know, that's down to the business. If it's a good business, it, it's traded for a good period of time. It's all about risk for the banks at the end of the day. Um, and the longer a business is traded, the higher the turnover, um, the more likely it is that the risk profile is lower, sector dependent. So. I, I don't think there's a huge um, issue with banks lending um, and, you know, business lending has been at a relatively all time low since uh, the last de um, depression um, and recession. Um, so I, I just can't see that. Um, and, and like I said, we haven't noticed any particular trends to suggest that. So I'd say people are actually struggling to get the finance you know this, this could be because maybe they, they haven't got a relationship manager and they're going through the call center routes you know that if you if you've not put your case together properly the call centers might not be as experienced as a business manager in putting your case forward to credit so i'd say for those businesses that are struggling again and it's easy to say when you you know i'm part of a business that does this but speak to somebody that that knows what they're doing in terms of applying for finance because they have to write your application in such a way that actually if somebody looking at it from a credit point of view says oh well that makes sense if you just put something in yourself and you're not familiar with with how underwriters look at uh, you know potential loans to businesses then you've got a strong chance that it's not going to go anywhere especially if you've gone through one of the call centers so again take advice you know if, if you don't know how to plaster a wall don't try it if you don't know how to apply for finance speak to somebody that does okay um talking about both the buying and selling process um how frequent do buyers require current owners to actually do what's called an earnout, i.e. stay in the business and hand over um, and eke out that that sale transaction or say 30% of that sale transaction over a six month period. Um, is that still common or has that sort of dropped away a bit now? Yeah, no, I think deferred payments, earnouts um, are, are very, very commonplace. Um, you know, from a buyer's point of view, it's a, it's a good way to say, well, look, your business is doing well. You're telling us it's going to do well in the future. So actually we'll link um, the sale price to that performance. It, that happens all the time. Um, a straight out deferred payment where we say, you know, we'll give you half a million quid for business, 250 up front, 250 deferred, uh, let's say over two years, again, happens quite often. Um, there's lots of risks for a seller in, in that respect, because what if they don't pay you for one? Um, you know, that, that's the main issue half the time. And if you say to a buyer, well, I want to get some sort of guarantee that you're going to pay me or some security, well, buyer's not going to give it. Um, so I think it's very important that, um, you know, buyers and sellers make sure they fully recognize what they're getting into. And, and like I say, from a buyer's point of view, um, they will want the deferred um, because it's less money they have to put up front. Um, and from a seller's point of view, normally we would try and advise them not to take it, but sometimes the deal's right. I would say what well, as a seller, if you're happy with the amount you're getting on day one, then it's fine because you might never see the rest.
Okay. Um, are there any specifics that sometimes, from a due diligence point of view, a buyer misses out um, and you know overlooks that you know are absolutely crucial um, and and comes back to bite them, you know, three months or six months or or, or beyond later. Yeah, I mean, due diligence is always a, a tricky one. Again, it's so involved and, and it's easy to miss something, which is, you know, often why buyers might tend to favour the purchase of the assets of the business as opposed to a, a sure purchase. Um, but I think this is down to having good representation a, 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 as a lawyer uh, within the law, you know, a good firm that knows what they're doing, that have done this before, because they'll make sure the warranties and, and um, you know, the covenants in in the actual sale purchase or share purchase agreement cover you as a buyer. Um, so I think it's having the right advisors around you, you know, forensic accounting is a key one, making sure that, you know, what's being put in the accounts is right. Um, and, and it's accurate because again, you know, you can manipulate figures. Um, so not really looking into the figures is a, is a key area that many buyers believe to not miss out on. Um, and there's a couple of massive examples of that as well where, where that's happened. I think HP was one of them. and They lost a, a shed load of money by not properly investigating the accounts. Um, but often the biggest area that buyers fail to, to actually look at is the culture of the business. Um, and you tend to find then that you've taken over this business. You've no idea what the culture is. And it hits you like a rock when you take it over because the you know, the staff will revolt. They don't agree with what you're doing. Uh, you try to change too much too soon. Um, so I'd say everybody boxes off the legal due diligence, the financial due diligence that they do reasonably well at. Um, then you've got, you know, your um, environmental due diligence if it's a certain type of business. Um, but looking then into the staff and the culture is where people generally miss or forget, usually because your lawyer or your accountant won't do it. So actually, you're left to do it yourself nine times out of ten, uh, and people admit to do it, and that, that's a key area of, of I'd say you need to look at that. Um, I think probably final question um, is when should um, a seller actually bring in their solicitors, legal team, or whatever else to actually start to package that transaction? Um, you know, sometimes they do it too early, and then, you know the, the costs ramp up. Um, you know, because the solicitors actually get involved in the negotiation um, and, uh, you know, two or three hundred pounds an hour is probably not very cost effective. Um, no. you know, do you do it just at the last minute or, you know, is there some sort of middle ground? No, I think, you you know, all your advisors need to be aware well in advance that, that you're wanting to sell. Um, but you're quite right. I mean, you know, you could easily rack up bills with, with lawyers, particularly two, three hundred quid an hour, as you say. Um, so the right time is key. I would say um, if you've instructed a broker or corporate finance house, they will generally do the negotiating of the offer, make sure the heads of terms are agreed in, in sufficient detail. And that would then be part of your broker fee, which usually is only payable upon success. So you're not going to incur hourly costs for that. Um, I would say at the point of agreeing the, the heads of terms, if you've used an experienced broker or corporate finance house, um, that's when you'd probably instruct your lawyers properly to, to start advising on the, you know, the, the actual agreements themselves. But I would have spoken to my lawyer ahead of that in any case to say, look, we're thinking of selling just a couple, you know, I want to get a couple of points on what I need to look out for with my particular business. But again, that depends on how close you are to your lawyers. Does your business have a, a firm of solicitors that you use regularly? If not, then, you know, you might as well 
I suppose, take the advice of a broker and a, a corporate finance house and instruct legals a bit later on. But the earlier you get advice, the better, because you, you, if you make the mistake early on, it's not a problem. If you make it too late, it costs you a lot more. Okay, excellent. Gareth, Gareth Smith, um, CEO of Hilton Smythe, thanks for your time today. No, thank you very much. Working with leading experts who know all about the business you run, because your business matters. Thank you.